You're listening to the All Things Good Sports Podcast, a product of All Things Good Company. Hey, thanks for tuning in to listen to my interview with basketball player Mike Taylor. Mike's a former NBA player and a current Big Three player, and he's won basketball championships in many countries all over the world. So he's a really interesting guy. This interview is going to be broken into two parts, with the second half of the interview being released next Monday morning. Today we'll be talking to Mike mostly about his backstory, growing up in inner city Milwaukee, playing for the best junior college in the nation, being highly successful in Division One basketball, moving on to the D-League, and then his rise into the NBA from there. Next week we'll be talking to Mike a lot more about what happened once he got in the NBA, the relationships he built with players, what it was like to compete and play alongside some of the best players in the world. We talked quite a bit about his international basketball experiences and all the championships he's won, what it's been like playing in the Big Three and how he ended up getting that position with the Big Three, what's coming up with the Big Three this coming year. And we'll also talk to Mike about his charitable foundation, the TaylorMade Foundation. Let's move on to the interview portion of the show. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Welcome to the All Things Good Sports Podcast. This is Jeff Pulver, and I'm joined today by an awesome guest, Mike Taylor, professional basketball player, and I'd also say philanthropist. How's it going, Mike? It's good. All is well, my ways. Awesome. Awesome. So why don't we start to just talk about the coronavirus pandemic, and obviously it's affecting everybody around here and everybody in the world. How's it affecting your life, man? Um... Man, the coronavirus is something that has been affecting my life in a, not just my life, but the world in a unique, different type of way. I would say for me, I kind of been quarantined my whole life. You know, just been playing overseas basketball for a decade plus, you know, being put in another country and another culture to where, you know, I, I don't speak English and Mm-hmm. I mean, most of the TV stations don't, you know, it's not English. It's not translating to English. Yeah. Some of the food and some of the things that I'm used to doing as being American, as being American, I don't have those those freedoms or, you know, not. it's not a Walmart in Greece. It's not a, it's, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It's not a pick and save in Serbia. It's not KFC right on the corner in Czech Republic. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like those things that I grew up accustomed to. It's like I've been quarantining myself from just certain thoughts, you know, from this American mind frame, just being overseas and this culture. So um, mm-hmm. I would say I, I've been quarantined. So I, I know how to deal with my mind and deal with time alone. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, it's, it's normal. I, I read books. Uh, I write my thoughts down. I, I color. I draw. I do puzzles, you know what I'm saying? Like I've learned <laughs> from being man. overseas, right? <laughs> I've learned yeah. to be overseas, how to like deal with myself and deal with my mind because all the time, all I'm dealing with is time. You know what I'm saying? And just dealing with my mind. So, yeah, you're um, especially equipped to do this based on your experience. <laughs> I mean, like you said, you're in Czech Republic or you're in Poland. You, I mean, 
you don't know how to mm-hmm. speak the language of these places and you don't know anybody that's there. So that's interesting right. to hear how similar this is. But yeah, obviously it's a big problem, as you were saying, for the whole world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's easy to think about how it's affecting us, but you also got to remember I how mean, it's affecting everybody everywhere. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I was just, uh, when it actually like broke out in the USA, mm-hmm. you know, and then we was getting news, the NBA had just shut down. You know, I was I was in Egypt. I was playing for Zamalek team out there in, uh, in Egypt, like one of the best teams in Africa. And, you know, the NBA Africa, we were set to play in the NBA Africa like two weeks before the NBA shut down. But they mm-hmm. had they actually shut down NBA Africa before the NBA had shut down. Oh, really? So they postponed the NBA Africa over there. So I kind of knew that it was coming, but it just like spiraled. So mm-hmm. after the NBA shut down, you know, they was looking to shut down all the leagues abroad as well, all the leagues overseas in every country. You know, they were sending basketball players home, and it was just like, you know, I signed the contract for the rest of the season. You know, my family, mm. you know, bills still need to be paid and other things need to still be done. And my contract was terminated. <laughs> mm, that becomes exactly. complicated because, like you said, you're playing Europe, playing all over the world. But, you mm-hmm. you know, even if that pushes and restarts, you might be committed to something else or committed to the big three at the time that that restarts. So that becomes very I complicated mean, where you're in other leagues. Yeah, I mean, and then some of these countries, you know what I'm saying, are, are third world countries or second world countries to where they may not be able to financially take this economic crisis. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Um, some of these teams and some of these franchises may fold. So uh, just to even go that far into thinking is like, yo, overseas basketball may be, you know, taking a hit. Some of these mm. franchises, some of these clubs may be taking some financial discrepancies where they may not be able to bounce back from by missing the playoffs because a lot of these teams bank on these playoffs and, you know, these financial backings from these corporations and organizations from TV deals, you know, from being on TV and, you know, mm-hmm. all of these other things that are not being taken into consideration from a business aspect. But, and then, you know, I'm 34, so... I'm in yeah. my last years of, you know, figuring, you know, my exit route out. So it's like, you know, this this could be, you know what I'm saying, the end, possibly. Sure. Maybe time that you don't career. get back. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And and, um, and speaking of other people that play in those leagues, you know, I mean, you know firsthand experience of playing in the D League, the G League, playing overseas. A lot of those people are making a name for themselves so that they can get another contract and keep playing in various leagues or getting up to the NBA and, and people that are scheduled to play right now that aren't playing, aren't getting that chance or that chance is getting pushed. So that's really unfortunate. For sure. For sure. For sure. And I know some of these young guys who this is their first year becoming pro or this is their second year becoming pro. So, you know what I'm saying? Like it's a tough time for those guys who are in a, a, begins of of these careers you know Mm -hmm. so man just just to think about those things the quarantine is mad yes so much going on it's it's it's, some things like that just go under the radar and aren't even thought about that closely so i'm glad you brought it up you guys are you guys are on the east coast so i know it's Mm -hmm. it's, it's been heavy it's been heavy heavy that way like in new york area yeah up in boston now too i live in maine and i've been lucky up in maine we have just over, I think, 50 deaths now, partially because we're much 
more widespread rural population. But Boston, it's getting up to Boston, and even the Portland area, Maine, has been uh, hit a little bit. So, so yeah, it's hitting everybody some way or another. Yeah. So let's give a, a little more formal introduction for the listeners to you. So for a quick summary for people that are listening, you played briefly in the NBA for the Clippers. You play currently on the Big Three, co-captain of the Ghost Ballers team. You've played in all kinds of countries all over the world, Serbia, Greece, Czech Republic, Poland, Lebanon, Qatar. There might be even more that I'm not getting to. And you came right out of college, went into the D-League. You became the first player drafted out of the D-League. We can talk about that more in a little bit. And then you run the TaylorMade Foundation, which does a lot of great things. I guess start with where it all began. So you went from high school where you grew up in Milwaukee and mm-hmm. you went to, is it Chipola College, the junior college in Florida? It's Chipola. It's Chipola, Chipola Junior College. Chipola. So, so, so coming from high school in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I was the city conference player of the year. I was one of the top three leading scorers in my state that year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my grades and my ACT score wasn't Division One. I wasn't a Division One qualifier. Mm-hmm. So I had a few schools that was looking to, like, you know, I guess I guess it was like this proposition 48, like there's some clause to where I can go to a Division One school, but I would have to redshirt and take the ACT again. So I ended up deciding to go to a junior college in Florida, which was the best decision in my life to begin my career down there in Florida. My coach, Greg Heyer, we started a winning culture down there in Florida to where from 2000 to 2010, we was the number one junior college for the whole decade. Wow. Um, yeah, I saw while you were there, you were there two years, right? 2004, yeah. five, and 2005, six. And I think both those years, uh-huh. one of those years, you guys reached the number one ranked junior college in the country, and you won uh-huh. the, the state championship both times, right? Yeah. Um, I, my second, my sophomore year, we lost in the state championship at the buzzer. Oh, <laughs> my God. Starting, and our whole starting 5 5 got that good. Oh, oh my buzzer. God. I never heard of that before. <laughs> yeah, wow. Exactly. So we, we lost like seven games in two years. Like out of all of the junior college, I was like the number 36 ranked junior college player of the year. I was a defense player of the year. My junior college, my sophomore year. You know, I just really learned and was giving my all to play Division One. Like, that was mm-hmm. my dream to play Division One basketball. So down in Florida, I, I stayed in Florida. I stayed in my junior college for two summers. I didn't go home in the summer. You know, Milwaukee from Florida, that's like almost a 1,000 miles. You know what I'm saying? A 1,000 oh, yeah. miles plus. You know what I'm saying? So I just stayed, dedicated myself to basketball and dedicated myself to, you know, becoming a, a better player, better person. Because coming out of high school, I couldn't shoot. I was just this quick, fast, skinny guard who really couldn't shoot. So those two summers, I was fine-tuning my game. I was waking up at 6 o'clock in the morning. I was working out three times a day and just, you know, working myself to a space to where I could give my full to the game. Mm-hmm. And, um you know, for for two summers, I was able to lock in and and work out three times a day. Uh, I was taking summer classes so I could be ahead in my studies. So during the season, I could be free to, you know, work out a little bit more, have yeah. a little bit uh, flexibility. Focus on the game. Um, yeah. 
Exactly. To, to just lock in even more, to give myself the best opportunity that I could have, you know, trying to make the next process, which is Division One. Then you moved on to Iowa State, which is a great program. But then you also talk about going from Milwaukee to Florida, then Milwaukee to Florida to Iowa. You're already far away from home. But you had a great year. Yeah, great year at Iowa State. Averaged 16 a game, I think, and led the team in scoring. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about your time there? I mean, I led Iowa. Man, my time at Iowa was an amazing time. It was kind of a perfect situation for me because it was all the returning players were leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a, it was a coaching change. So the coach that was there, he left. So the guys that was under his program kind of left with him. So the new coach brought in, which was Greg McDermott, Doug McDermott's dad. Yeah. So Creighton's um, coach now, right? Yes. Yes. Creighton's yep. coach now. He was taking over um, the Iowa State program, and I was one of his main recruits. So I came in with McDermott. That's awesome. Um, Iowa State. I led in points, assists steals, basically everything but rebound percentage from three-point line. But my Iowa State career, I felt like kind of ended way too short. Mm-hmm. My last basketball game at Iowa State was in the Big 12 tournament. We got put out by Oklahoma. But that day, my best friend died. Oh, my God. So that morning of the day that we have this last game at Iowa State, which this is my last game. When I ever played at Iowa State, my best friend died. Wow. He died yeah. in a car accident. And at this time in my life, you know, I'm already so detached from, you know, my reality and how I grew up. You know, growing up in poverty, you know, everybody in my neighborhood is focused on, you know, just trying to survive and how they're going to get the next meal and how they will make the next dollar. And, you know, just growing up in less fortunate upbringings death is something that is is normalized Mm -hmm. and that was something that i had to deal with at age 21 while i'm in college trying to figure out how to get my family up out of these troubled times um just trying to create and navigate my way through life i was kind of just the first generation of my family to go to college you know I'm the oldest boy. My mom have an older sister and two younger brothers. Single parent household. It was just my mom. My father was never in my household. So me being the oldest male, I took just naturally that responsibility from the absence of my father was put on my shoulders. Yeah, um, definitely. So at Iowa State around this time, you know, this is March. So I go home to bury my best friend and, you know, I just kind of check out. I was like, mentally, I just I just start to question everything about life. It's the first time that death was ever this close to me. So I just I just went on this process to where it was like, for I would say about six months, I was just checked out. I wasn't myself mentally. I would mm. feel like I would hear my best friend, like I would visually still see him because this was the guy who made me stay in Iowa. I mean, he made me stay in Florida for two years. Yeah. I used to call him and he was like, bro, why are you going to come home, bro? What you coming home to? You know what I'm saying? Like, for what? Yeah. 
You know what we're doing here? We the one that supported you, encouraged you. Yes, 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 yes. He was the one who, he was my voice of reasoning when I didn't have it. When I was ready to give up, he was the one who was making me stick it out. Like, bro, you're going to come back here. We we ain't doing nothing here. You might as well go ahead and work on your jump shot. Like, (laughs) don't come back here. We, you know what I'm saying? We, we, we trying to find a way to stay out of trouble. We find the trouble every day. Like we're yep. drinking and smoking, like this ain't the place. I I don't want you around here, so just stay there, bro. Like, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So, this was like, you know what I'm saying? My guide, and I was lost for a while. So, you know, I ended up losing my basketball scholarship um, at Iowa State. Like, <laughs> almost three weeks before the school season is about to start, I lose my basketball scholarship. I get the new recruits to come in and. Everything, you know, the next semester is about to start for school. I lose my basketball scholarship. And this is the unique journey my basketball career takes. Kevin Durant was the number one leading scorer in the Big 12 when I played that year. I was from 5 to 10 the whole season. Wow. Um, we played against Mike Conley, Greg Oden, Daquan Cook at Ohio State that year. You know, DJ Augustine plays for. Texas, we played against Mario Chalmers and Brandon Rush, Russell Robinson, all of these NBA prospects. And, you know, I gave them more than what they can handle on the basketball court. So I knew that, you know, I was of an NBA caliber and all of these guys was getting drafted to the NBA. Yeah, it's crazy because you were out there battling and, you know, one of the leading scores and, and defensive players in the whole at least conference and and like you said battling with those guys every night and then you know because of this unfortunate event you lost your scholarship and, and you had to reevaluate that's crazy so then you went you decided to continue on with your basketball career even though you couldn't continue to go to college and you went to the d-league at the time what's now the g-league right yes 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 so was that an open tryout? How did you end up getting that position? Actually, the season had already kind of started that year. So it was a process to where I had went to Sacramento, and I had started working out. Shout out to uh, Gus Armstead. He was the, the talent scout for this agent in New York. So I go out there to Sacramento, and I'm just working out with him for about a month, two months. and you know, all of these scouts are coming through. Through his program, it's a lot of NBA guys that have come through his workout. Basically, all the Sacramento Kings, Bobby Jackson, Matt Barnes was down there that summer when I was down there. A lot of NBA scouts have come through there. The the workout strength and conditioning guy coaches will come through there. So I was kind of down there just in a, in a great situation. And me just being young and hungry, I kind of knew that. I wanted to play basketball for money. My dream was to be drafted to the NBA. Just being a top collegiate player in high school, it's like I'm seeing my jersey. I'm going into the bookstore at Iowa State. I'm going into the bookstore and I'm seeing my jersey being sold, just not my name on the back, my number, just not my name on the Uh, back being sold for $25 uh, and I'm not making any money. No, $0, yeah. They got kids onesies. With my number on them, a onesie for a kid, my oh my on it, and they making money. Wow. So it's like all of these things, right? So it's like, and I still have to 
eat. It's a struggle for me to eat. My my family is struggling, you know, with bills and everything. So it's just like, ah, let's see what we can do to earn some money here. So I got into a unique situation. The Idaho Stampede coach had came down to Sacramento. You know, they they very interested in me at first. So it took it takes about a two week process for everything to get rolling, but they're very interested in my game. Like they came on a Friday and like every Friday is like, you know, we work out a little bit in the in the morning. We work out for about an hour. Just some, some nice little soft drills. Nothing like how we do normally during the week. We go after it during the day. But on Fridays it's more like it's just a little open workout and then we have these games to where we play for about four or five hours. Everybody, like 30, 40 guys are in there. So the Idaho guy is there. And once my team get on, we're probably like the third team because, you know, we got NBA guys in there. It's kind of a pecking order. So we got the third team. We get on. Once my team get on, we don't lose that day. We win that whole day. And it was just, you know, these guys are NBA, so maybe they're not going as hard as me, but I'm home. You know what I'm saying? I'm lining up. I'm diving on the floor. I'm getting – but this is just – you know, this has been my style of play since forever. Yeah, I was going to say, I noticed that even watching you on the plane in the big threes, you get after it just like it's day one. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, so this is just like my style. So I'm just getting after it, getting after it. And he comes up to me and like, man, I don't even know if we got a guard spot, but we got a spot that's open. I'm going to do my best to try to get you with us. Get that guy at Jersey, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just like your energy. I like everything that I just saw today, so we're going to work on it. So about two weeks later, you know, I get the call, and it's like, yo, this Idaho team is serious. They get you out there, right? So I go out mm-hmm. to Idaho, and I'm there for about five days. My very first professional experience, I'm practicing. There's no game yet. I get to see one game. My first day I get there, uh, it's, they have a game that day, so I get to see a game. The team is great. I see it immediately how I can impact. You know, when I was coming up in the D-League, like, it was a it was a grown man's league. Like, my point guard was Randy Livingston, and he was already 35, and I was 21 still. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So it was like, I was the next in line. He was 35, and I was the next in line. I was 21. You know what I'm saying? So I was able to learn the game. You know, it was, a, it was a different criteria to how the game was judged and how it was seen when I was coming up. Like, it oh, was yeah. completely yeah. different, right? So it was like, you had to be a point guard. Like, I feel like I was two, three years above my time when I was coming up because I was a, I'm a combo guard. I'm a hybrid guard. Oh, yeah. I'm one of these guards, like, <laughs> this new NBA guard where there's no position. They just putting the best players, the dogs, that's going to go after it, get after it every single time. Like, Mm -hmm. that's what I was, but I was before my time. So, scouts and critics and basketball eyes guys, you know what I'm saying, they will say. They call you a tweener back then. They say, oh, he's not a point guard. He's not a point guard. guard. There's no spot for him. He doesn't fit into the default role, right? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, that was, like, my biggest backlash. Exactly. So, now it's, like, these are the guys that every team want now. They want an in-betweener because – he can play a role. He can defend one, two, three, four positions. He can, you know what I'm saying? Like, score in multiple ways. You don't have oh, to yeah. just lock him into a role, right?
Disney. Okay, so the first four days I'm there, Torian Green gets called down from the Portland Trailblazers. I've only been a practice player. So they call down a player. I'm the last man on the roster. I'm the first to go. So I'm there. I sign a contract. Oh, I'm there God. for four days. I'm there for four days. Get called down. Boom. Business. I get the taste of business right away. Get kicked off. So I go back home. I'm leaving from Sacramento to Idaho. Then I go from Idaho back to Milwaukee. So this is around Christmas time. This is like two weeks before Christmas. Christmas Eve, I get a phone call. It's the assistant coach that came down to Sacramento. Torian Green is leaving today. Do you want to come back? I'm like, I'm looking at my mom. I'm like, it's Christmas <laughs> Eve. He's like, oh, yeah, tell your mom that you got to go. It's, this is business. So that's exactly what happened. Wow. Yeah. So it's like I got to go right back out. And after I got there this time, it was a permanent deal. My team started going like an 18-game winning streak. This is the same time when the Houston Rockets go on this NBA. I think I think they went on like a 20-game winning streak or something like this. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was in the D-League. Trace McGrady I was in the, and Yao. Yeah. Yes, and Yao, yeah. I was in the D-League doing it like just around the same time. My D-League team, we were in the D-League championship. Yeah, I was in a D-League dunk contest. I got second place. I lost to my teammate, Brent Petway, Air Georgia. So it was yeah, just a, it was I went back and out. I watched some of that. Yeah, bro. Like like it was a, it was just a coming out time for me. It was a coming out time, you know, breaking down the D lead again. So after this showcase tournament, right, I put on a, a hell of a, a hell of a showcase. I'm coming I'm playing it in this off the bench role. First when I first got there, I was playing like thirty seconds. But in those thirty seconds I would get like a steal, full court and get a dunk. A windmill, like this is when I was young and athletic. I would get like a steal yeah. and something to make the coach like, who the fuck is this? Like, <laughs> like, and the whole crowd, everybody in the fans would come up to me, the whole Idaho. They wasn't used to seeing somebody of my size, like, just jump and dunk. And this was just like at the end of the game. So it's like the whole crowd would be like, yo, who is Taylor? Like, put him in the game and all this. So the next game I would have, like, 50 kids and 50 people, like, put Taylor in. Like, just off of playing for 30 seconds. <laughs> wow, that's taking so, advantage of your time right there. Yeah, so it was just, like, that led into five minutes, and five minutes led into, like, 14 minutes, and now I'm in this six- to eight-man role for the number one team in the D-League. I was getting mm-hmm. NBA call-ups. I was getting, like, 10 to 12 NBA call-ups. And I kept on telling my agent no. Wow. Because, quite frankly, I didn't know what an NBA call-up was. I was coming straight from college. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't know this whole professional. I didn't even know what it was. I didn't even know that this was possible. The only way that I knew to get to the NBA was through college. This was new to me. You see what I'm saying? So when he was telling me call-ups, I'm just like, no. And the only reason why, so after, like, the 15th call-up, my agent just come to me and he's like, why do you keep on saying no to all of these call-ups? <laughs> so I'm like, my dream was to be drafted to the NBA. Like, for one, I don't even know what a call-up is, but if I take this call-up that you're talking about, would I be able to be drafted? And he's like, you know what? That's a great question. Like, let me let me call you in uh, about 72 hours and get back to you on this. Let me call a few people and ask around, blah, blah, blah. 
I'm like, yeah, that's why I haven't took none of these call-ups because my dream is to get drafted, not to be called up. And I'm thinking if I take a call-up, then I ain't going to be able to get drafted because if I play in the NBA, then I can't get drafted to the NBA. Sure, and, and if you get no called way. up, it might be a, a 10-day contract, and if you get drafted, then you're there for at least a full year. So that's a great point. Exactly. So that was my mom friend going into it. So he called me back the next morning, not 72 hours. He called me back in two to seven hours. It was like, you know what, bro? This is going to be a unique situation. Like, we're going to have the opportunity to be the first player to be dropped out the D-League to the NBA. Like, nobody has done this ever before. So you have the opportunity to be history. And, you know, like I say, my D-League team, we win the championship. I came off the bench. I played 28 minutes, scored 27 points in 28 minutes in the championship game, in the final game, in the third game of the finals. The series was 1-1. I hit, like, I was 7 for 10 from the three-point line that game. Wow. It was just one of those defining moments in my my career. That was the reason why I feel that I was able to get drafted into the NBA draft. The last impression that you left was that last game, basically game seven, you know, game three of the the Mm -hmm. championship. That's awesome. Uh And it was like, you know, I had a chance to go through the draft. I mean, I had a draft to go through the the combine, you know what I'm saying, the pre-draft workouts and everything. But I had already won the D-League championship already. This was like playing Mm -hmm. in the minor leagues. You see what I'm saying? So I was being put back into the same boat that which I was coming from in college. Mm-hmm. And I already felt like I was above and beyond every collegiate player because I just played in the NBA. I knew defense was three seconds. I knew that the extra three feet on the three-point line, I just shot almost 40% from the three-point line this previous year. So I knew spacing. I knew where I was supposed to be on the court. So I didn't have to make this time to adjust to the NBA. It wasn't like, if this is one of the words that I hate in basketball and it's potential. Oh, it's, like, God, yeah. it's like all of these guys that say their potential, their potential, their upside, their upside. But I have already actually proven myself more than they have yet. So you're going to choose mm-hmm. somebody's potential over something that's already proven, that I've already done this, that it's already capable. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's already so, real. It's already happening. It's just yes. different league, but all, all the same the rules, everything. Mm-hmm. Everything. I mean, I understand it's going to be a little bit of adjustment process, but I'm used to it. I'm, I'm, I'm used to the lifestyle. You know what I'm saying? It's a, uh, a total different, you know what I'm saying, tax bracket, but the lifestyle of traveling, being professional, being on your own, I don't have to make that much of an adjustment than those college guys had to at the time, you know? Mm-hmm. Definitely. And we were talking earlier about this. So, I mean, you got drafted out of the, the D League. Has anybody ever been drafted since that? Is like I've I never heard of anything um, until I was researching on you. There's been a few guys to be drafted since then. I think Malik Harrison. I think that was like one of the next guys who was to do it. He went. He actually went in the first round. So he oh, was wow. the first guy to get drafted from the D League to go first round. Do you think that the reason that most people don't do that is because they take those call-ups, they take those 10-day contracts when they get them, and they don't hold out the way that you did? I mean, I just think it's, it's, a, it's a lack of information. 
mm-hmm. we don't know that that's possible. Yeah, like, I didn't either. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, like once you know that's possible, then more people will be prone to do it because when I did it a long time ago, it was like, and then I started to go overseas, and this is something that sparked my mind because every time I'm overseas, it's like I have a 14, a 15-year-old on my team. So it's like I was had the opportunity to be overseas at 14, 15 years old and watching a professional player. Like if I was able to go watch a professional team workout every single day at 14 years old, like I was going to high school, how much better would I be as a professional when it's time to go to college or when it's time to play on a professional market? How much mm-hmm. better would I be? Yeah, definitely. Like a Luka Doncic, right? Luka Doncic is this much more polished than every college player, and he hasn't played a college game. He played professional. The same style, the same scheme, the same strength, the same mental game, right, mm-hmm. this whole time. So me being able to have my American upbringing and be able to be overseas for 10 years, I've been able to put this thing together. So it's like if a high schooler, which they're doing this now, was to go straight to the pro league, then how is this forcing a college who's been making millions off of collegiate players? Now they're giving high schoolers the opportunity to go ahead and skip college again and go straight to the pros. Yeah, you were talking about that. Is that, you know, yeah. I think the top overall ranked prospect and a couple of the other top ones are going to this G League, mm-hmm. some sort of development program where I think they're not even playing in regular G League games, but they're playing in like showcases and exhibition games. And they're, they're getting to, like you said, see the workouts and build the habits and get mm-hmm. professional training and stuff. Do you like that program? I'm assuming you do. Of course. Of course. I feel like I was a part of starting that 10 years ago. I got drafted in 2008. I did this in a D league in 2007. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like I mm-hmm. started that way. You know what I'm saying? 2007 and 2008, I was playing in the D league. That was my senior year in college. Oh yeah. You know and these people that are doing this program now, I think they're getting paid $500,000. And you talk about when way you were more money. Yeah. You're talking about when exactly. you're in Iowa state. And you're looking, you're seeing your jersey being sold and you're getting zero dollars. They can go and they can make $500,000 instead of basically making other people money. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely for this new rule and this new found thing from the colleges, from the collegiate uh, athletes getting played, from the build that was passed in California. I'm mm-hmm. all for this new uh, high school rule where these players can take advantage of, you know, their own lives and uh, extort themselves. If if a college can extort and make money off of me, then why can't I do the same thing for myself? Sure. And you're talking about with where you were coming from and you wanted to be able to help out your family and whatnot. People that have been brought up that way, it's that much sooner that you're able to help and that much more money that you're able to help with. So it makes a big difference. Yeah. I mean, and it's just a shortcut. It's just a cheat code. Like, I mean, it's just like how Netflix beat out Blockbuster, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> it's like everything, like it's a time, it's a space. Like everything is becoming digital now, as we can see during the quarantine. So I just feel like making a direct jump. It's just basically like college has been the middleman from 
amateur to professional. So I just mm-hmm. feel like these new things are basically either we're going to treat these guys with college is saying we're going to pay these guys like professionals, right? Mm-hmm. Or we're going to give them the opportunity to be jump straight through this collegiate circus. So, yeah, where we were at is you were drafted in the NBA, and I believe it was by the Trailblazers, and then you were traded to the Clippers, right? Yeah, so it was a crazy thing. Okay, a little secret about that draft. Ironically, I was supposed to be taken with the 35th pick of the Clippers. The Clippers only had two picks for that draft. had the number seven pick, and they had the number 35th pick. The Clippers told me during one of my workouts that they don't pick a point guard with their number seven pick, which they ended up taking Eric Gordon, who was a two guard. Mm-hmm. But they would take a point guard with 35th pick, which they wanted me. So the day of the draft and everything was going on, DeAndre Jordan, who was supposed to be a top 10 pick, sliding. Mm-hmm. He's sliding, 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 sliding. So they called me around like the 20th pick and say, DeAndre Jordan looks like he's going to drop. So if he gets all the way to 35, we're going to have to take him. But we're looking to call teams right now because we really want you. So we're trying to get a sign and trade, you know what I'm saying? Uh, we're trying to get a trade. We're trying to get a pick for you. So I was supposed to be locked into a 35th pick, but a unique situation happened where DeAndre Jordan gets dropped all the way down to 35th pick, and boom. I don't get picked into the 55th pick. So things kind of, you know, took its course course that way, but I got drafted. And not a lot of people can say that they got drafted to the NBA. And I was the first person to be drafted, you know what I'm saying, from the D League to the NBA in NBA history. Sure. You know what I'm saying? So Yeah, it's interesting to hear about those back channel conversations that you had with the Clippers. Thanks again everyone for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this first half of the interview. Don't miss next week. If you like this first half, you don't want to miss the culmination of Mike's story, making it to the NBA, what it was like to play with all these players, moving on to the big three and everything else. I hope you tune in. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. This has been Jeff Pulver with All Things Good Sports. Check us out on social media at ATG Sports Media. And we can't wait to have you listening again next week. Thanks. Thanks.